It all started when a question about finances I had went a little wild. Over the past five years, I've been falling down a financial rabbit hole that has given me some unexpected experiences. Whether it be trying to find out what makes billion dollar companies tick, or unknowingly shaking hands with the vice president of Indonesia, the world of finance is broad, wide, and even scary at times. Although there is a lot to know, hopefully we can learn together. The date of this recording is November 1st, 2020, and in this episode, I use personal anecdotes and analogies to help better understand what goes into oil prices, how supply and demand impact the oil industry, other global and regional factors, and the spot and futures market. Hey, welcome to the Workday Cafe, broadcasting through Trent Radio 92.7 FM in Peterborough, Ontario, Canada, or afterwards on the podcast platform of your choice. My name's Daniel, and I aim at sharing my experiences and what I've learned along the way every week to help you feel more comfortable about the economy and your money. Throughout the show, I'll present stories, supporting information, and occasionally my opinion. If you are considering using any of the topics discussed on the show in your own life, I implore you to research and investigate or seek out a financial specialist at a trusted financial institution. You can find the show after the premiere on WorkdayCafePodcast.com or look up The Workday Cafe on any podcast listening platform. Now let's get into the show. that is commonly talked about around the kitchen table, but is not fully understood by everyone, are gas prices. It is a conversation starter that contests even asking about the weather. After looking into the process of getting oil from the ground to your car and the many influences from around the world, it made me think of something a little silly, but accurate. A Big Mac from McDonald's. But before even starting to explain why gas prices are the way they are, I would like to first touch on another interesting restaurant experience I had recently. This past weekend, my sister who lives in Thunder Bay uh, got married. So me and the uh, immediate family got together, uh, went to Toronto, flew to Thunder Bay, and uh, celebrated the wedding with her. Uh, We tried to abide by all the COVID restrictions, um, and none of us are feeling any kind of negative um, health repercussions at the end of it. So we're very lucky um, and healthy. But after the wedding, which uh, was great, but the next day uh, we went to a quick lunch. Uh, We were going to go for a quick lunch at a restaurant that was across from our hotel. Uh, We went in. It was... um, pretty clean to be honest uh, and it was sort of like a sports sports bar 
something like um, a mixture between Moxies and uh, Eastside Mario's mixed with a little Boston pizza. Uh, looked great. Um, prices were all right. And we took a seat. Um, I ordered some kind of uh, clubhouse wrap or um, something to that effect. Uh, and everyone else got theirs as well. So we had our orders in. Um, and uh, they finally came out. It was uh, Everything looked good. The food was actually presented very well. We had huge plates. Um, and the sides were... It wasn't something that they were skimping on either. Um, so I started eating, digging in, uh, the whole table's enjoying it. Um, I'm one half of the wrap down. Uh, down uh, and then I start to pick up the second one. And lo and behold, there's a little critter right there. A little cockroach um, that sees me, sees my sister sit, uh, who's sitting next to me, and scampers away into the table. Now I, I've worked in kitchens, kitchen before with uh, with cockroaches, and typically the when you see one, the kitchen kind of shuts down, uh, and everyone gathers to try to clean the areas that they saw it and put down any kinds any kind of trap. Now uh, the cockroach that I saw at this restaurant, uh, it, it was a little bit bigger than the ones I'd seen at the the rest the uh the kitchens i was working at um it was about three quarters of an inch um i kind of froze dropped the um dropped the the half of the wrap um my sister kind of looked over kind of curious saw what i was looking for or looking at rather and um slowly backed away i followed grabbed my mask um, slowly got up, <laughs> uh, and there was a waiter, waiter that was, um, near our table. I kind of motioned for, for her to come, said, un, said very quietly, I think there was a cockroach on my plate. Um, with my mask on, slowly walked into the washroom. Now, I, I didn't go in there to throw up or anything. To be honest, I just didn't want to have to deal with the situation of, talking to a manager about this um that that kind of anxiety is the stuff that is uh nightmare fuel for me um so the kind what i hear heard about later was that the table didn't really believe that i i saw a cockroach as opposed or um except for the one sister that was sitting next to me um she knew it was there and she actually started to hunt for it um, a couple of the other people that were on the that were at the table actually started continue eating, not realizing how what, what the situation was really like. Um, so uh, my uh, my family ended up dealing with the situation. Um, they said they left a tip for the waiter because obviously it's not the waiter's fault that um, cockroaches are in the kitchen. Um, and uh, I got saved by. Uh, my sister's fiance who came into the bathroom saying you good i said yes and then we we walked out having not uh having not been forced to pay for the meal or uh um even having anything to do there uh it's one of those stories that you think uh it, it kind of comes up as 
uh, something that you hear other people talking about it happening to them but yeah it's it's definitely something that um i didn't fully expect at such a nice place um i i'm obviously very privileged to even have the opportunity to go to a restaurant to have it and i i understand they probably um don't want to have cockroaches either um but it was definitely um, one of those once-in-a-lifetime experiences that uh, for the last couple of days have had me uh, jumping a little bit if there's um, some kind of black sprinkle or um, any kind of odd object on the, uh, on the plate. Uh, the rest of the weekend went fine, and then the rest of the, uh, the plane ride back to Peter, Peterborough went fine. Or back to Toronto, and then the, the drive back to Peterborough. Um, funny enough, after we finished at the restaurant, some of the uh, our, our table uh, was still hungry because I I'm a quick eater, and they weren't uh, they weren't anywhere close to being started even. So uh, in the car, we went over to a fast fast food spot and got burgers. Uh, I think everybody else in the in the car got something, but. Let's just say I didn't have an appetite at that point. At those kinds of fast food restaurants are Big Macs that are made up of three main layers to me. The first layer is the bottom bun, the patty with cheese and lettuce. Um, then the second layer, layer is the middle bun. And the top layer is with the patty, bun, and then assortment of lettuce, pickles, and more cheese and sauce. Now while all three sections have their purpose and function, the bottom layer is going to be the messiest and the hardest to get at. To begin at the bottom of the burger, you must start by looking at what is underneath your feet. It's the earth. Oil rigs, both on land and offshore, extract oil deposits from the ground and then transport that raw oil to refineries. Both kinds of rigs can be dangerous given the wrong combination of many negligent factors but offshore oil rigs are considered more dangerous given the speed at which oil can travel in water and the environmental and economic disasters that can occur as a result. These rigs typically use pipelines or oil tanker ships to transport the oil. The oil, which is still in crude form, now arrives at the refineries and is put through a boiler. As crude oil is put through this boiling process, it starts to separate because different parts of crude oil uh, have different boiling points. As the crude oil is now separating uh, while it is rising up smokestacks, the different kinds of oil are collected together, leaving generally only natural gases to be collected at the top. The different kinds of oil that make up crude oil separate because as the oil rises, it becomes further away from the heat and the different kinds of oils cool, um, which they cool at uh, different temperatures, resulting in the different oil-based products that we use every day. Many different things are taken from that crude oil, like jet fuel, motor lubricating oil, uh, kerosene, and everyday car gas. Moving on now to the middle piece of the Big Mac, which is the piece that holds everything together, you can consider the mass transportation networks that circle the globe so that virtually everyone can have access to the, to the oil. Pipelines, oil tankers, 
and transport trucks are the main forces that move oil and keep people's lives running. Specifically, pipelines are a highly debated issue that have very good points on both sides. Whether that be the potential environmental or health concerns versus the convenience of oil, which contributes to the high standard of life that we experience in North America. So now that the transportation network has done its job and the gas is now at the station, a price needs to be set. Looking now at the top section of the Big Mac, which is the visible section that everyone bought the burger for, it's in the ads and it's what you're looking forward to when you pull it out of the, the bag. Let's see what the top section, the visible section uh, of gas prices, which is the price at the pumps, looks like. So while there are many contributing factors to the final uh, pump price, the most impactful one is the price of crude oil. This raw form of oil makes up 40% of the final uh, price you pay at the pump and has many factors impacting it that I will take a look at later. The next largest contributor to gas prices are taxes, which make up about 35% of that pump price. Unlike the other costs that go into the amount you pay at the pumps, this factor is slowly, uh, solely controlled by governments rather than uh, being open for competition. In Canada, each province is entitled to create their own gas taxes, which is why uh, the price of gas may vary from province to province. The next aspect of gas costs is the refining of the oil. The refineries that separated the crude oil uh, into the gas that you are now using need to make a profit as well and make up about 17% of the pump price. The lowest factor in this cost is the distribution of marketing of the gas uh, coming in at 9%. This uh, distribution and marketing encompasses the transportation of the gas from the refinery to the wholesaler or service station. Um, as well as the overhead costs, marketing, um, and the weight, like the overhead costs, like the wages, rent, and storage of the gas station. And the gas stations also need to make a profit uh, to offset this and to be a, a working business. A final aspect to consider is that credit card companies actually make uh, around 2.5% and take that money away directly uh, from businesses uh, from the total transaction. So for example, uh, let's look at uh, if gas costs $1.10 Canadian per liter. So if we use the same percentages uh, I've just talked about, um, and we're looking at $1.10 Canadian per liter, then 43 cents out of that, uh, that, that one liter would go to the crude oil drillers, um, 38 cents would go to taxes, 19 cents would go toward the refineries, and 10 cents would go towards uh, the transportation of the oil to the service station and to cover all of the costs associated with that station, uh, including taking a bit of a profit. So additionally, if you decrease the credit card fees from the service station's profit, the station makes only about 7.25 cents per liter. 
that makes these stations uh, really not making a great mar uh, profit margin, to be honest, on gas. And they need to operate very on a very strict budget to stay profitable. Up until now, we've been looking at a very micro-scaled and specific side of the oil industry. But if you take a broader view of the industry, it's obvious that supply and demand have a large factor on prices. When considering the supply of oil, the most important place to start is the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries, also known as OPEC. This group of countries that includes Saudi Arabia, Iran, Indonesia, Venezuela, Iraq, Libya, and more, control roughly two-thirds to 75% of the world's oil supply. Through OPEC, which is an intergovernmental organization, the price of oil is regulated and is a major advantage in political negotiations. The nations in this group are notoriously unstable, though, partially because of the abundance of oil and the riches that it brings, and have had differing relations with the United States and the rest of the West. As, re result, as a result of these instabilities, nations that are part of North America and the United Nations uh, have put sanctions on the troubled nations, but the reliance on oil, on oil for our standard of life is still prevalent. It's still something that links us to them no matter what we do. OPEC did not come to an agreed-upon price and output level to maintain the oil industry and its prices after many months of the pandemic. Um, that is one of the contributing factors to why um, what we'll see later, uh, prices of oil, futures of oil, um, going into the negatives. But the supply is also impacted by weather patterns and new technology, technological advances as well, that have made it possible to extract oil from rock. Uh, the new technological advance uh, is actually called uh, shale oil. Uh, when the overall supply of crude oil decreases, in general, the world sees the price typically rise and if the uh, supply of crude oil increases, the world typically sees uh, a decrease in the price. When the economy is doing well and industrial production is on the rise, the demand for, for oil typically increases. This means that countries that have more labor jobs, like China, India, Thailand, and Bangladesh, they have higher oil usages. And when taking into consideration the scale of operations, they have more oil usage than more developed nations that have moved away from labor jobs because of the, the cost of labor is so much cheaper in developing economies. Another important factor in determining the demand for oil is the popularity of transportation at the time, whether that be personal or commercial. One of the contributing factors to oil prices being so low in pandemics times is the decrease in travel. Population growth and seasonal changes also impact the demand for oil. The final note to consider uh, of the demand of oil prices is the, that oil is not fully elastic, meaning that some people would pay whatever it costs for oil. Gas and oil have a portion of its consumers that are inelastic at this, at this time, 
even though there are alternatives to oil, like electric cars and renewable energy, oil and gas are still needed to run our economy and maintain our standard of life. Now to switch gears a little bit, similarly to the cockroach I found in my meal earlier this week, there are some unexpected outside influences on gas that also impact supply and demand, as well as the 40% crude oil cost that is paid at the pumps. The first is the price fluctuations that is common among service stations competing for your business. As prices go up and down in a local area, some stations try to at least match the lowest station in their sector. This increases competition and is good for consumers, but can be negative for service stations that are already not making a strong profit margin. However, this kind of price fluctuation does not happen everywhere in Canada. In Quebec and the Atlantic provinces, there are gas price legislations that regulate the sale of gas. Quebec, for example, has a minimum floor price that service stations can sell gas at, while New Brunswick and Newfoundland have a ceiling to their price. Prince Edward Island and Nova Scotia Nova Scotia uses a combination of the ceiling and floor to regulate their provinces. Now, a second unexpected influence on oil prices are natural disasters that can negatively impact the supply of oil. Harsh weather like hurricanes, forest fires, and changing climate conditions can disrupt the normal extraction of crude oil, damage refineries, and slow the distribution of that oil. In 2017, as an example, Hurricane Harvey hit the Gulf Coast and impacted te uh, Texas's refining hubs, pipelines, uh, and their refineries. So these pipelines, their refineries, and oil platforms uh, were all shut down because of it. And this impacted oil supply and resulted in the price of oil uh, at the pump increasing slightly in response. Other unexpected macro-scale influences on oil prices uh, that I mentioned earlier include political instability, seasonal demand preferences, and even normal weather conditions can impact it. A final but crucial influencer of oil prices is money. The first and most easily explained impact is the tie between gas and the American dollar. As a result of oil being traded as a commodity on the, uh, on the market in U.S. dollars, when the value of the U.S. dollar drops, so too will the value of oil, which results in sellers raising the price of oil. If the U.S. dollar increases, uh, then the sellers of oil can decrease the cost of their product without taking a hit to their wallet. I did mention oil being a commodity on the market, and although it does look complicated from the outside. I ask that you try to stay with me and I'll get through uh, explaining it in a easy to understand fashion. All right, so there are two main markets to buy oil on. There's the spots market and the futures market. This means that there are two ways to buy oil. The spot market uh, is very straightforward. In the spot market, oil is bought and sold for cash and delivered immediately. Bought and delivered on the spot. 
separately from physical oil barrels that are being shipped from seller to buyer, buyer, there is the futures market. The futures market exists for many reasons, but the result is that money changes hands, but the actual oil is not affected. The two groups involved in the futures markets are the actual extractors and refiners of oil and those who invest money without any intention of ever taking possession of the actual oil, the physical oil. How a futures contract works is that an investor will bet on the price of oil going up or down, either months or years in the future, and if they are correct, they get a profit. But no matter what, that money goes towards the uh, the, the producer, the extractor, or the, uh, the refiner of the oil. So the actual miners and refiners get the security and stability of a fixed amount from the investors, whether they have a good or bad month. And as a result of the pandemic, investors became very wary on the, de uh, on the demand for oil. Um, and as an example, they started to predict that there would be too much supply for the lowering demand, and they turned out to be correct. So with so many investors now believing this outlook, the futures price of oil actually dropped into the negatives. That means that investors um, were so hard on oil that they made the future price of oil negative compared to what it was now. To conclude, hopefully you have a bit more to say when someone asks, what is going on with the gas prices these days? Whether it be knowing how the three levels of a Big Mac relate to the process of getting oil out of the ground into the gas tanks of consumers, what supply and demand do to the oil industry, how a cockroach found in your meal is like outside influences that can change everything when it comes to oil prices, and how the spot and future mar futures markets also impact this massive mechanism. To get the best deal on gas, I'll leave you with this. You need to compare your local service stations and, at the end of the day, appreciate that you do have choices, safety, and convenience to fuel up for whatever comes at you tomorrow. I would like to thank my server, Caitlin, Amaria for the music, and you for listening to the Workday Cafe, premiering through the facilities of Trent Radio. If you would like to learn more about other projects I'm doing, or would like to listen to segments of the show again, head over to WorkdayCafePodcast.com or look up the Workday Cafe on the podcast platform of your choice. I'll see you next Wednesday at 10 a.m. to continue this journey into the world of finances and the economy.